why don't we actually jump in? Uh, excited to have Mike and Mike with me. And uh, yeah, today's conversation, we're going to be thinking about product like sales. And I guess just to kick things off, high level um, for the conversation topic is, do we think there's actually a difference between product-led sales and regular sales, right? Thinking about um, kind of the different motion between uh, a company that's going to have organic growth and one that's going to do more of like a tops-down greenfield approach to sales. What uh, What do you guys think? Awesome. And given, uh, Mike, you work at Kraft, the, the VC that's really focused on these bottoms up or product led companies. Do you want to start off by defining what, what product led means? Um, and maybe talk about what, uh, what the traditional, what, what the old way is as well. Yeah, I have a very broad definition of product led sales or product led growth in general. It's anything where you have a free user experience. And typically you, like there are barriers to having a free user experience. If there's too long of a time to value path, if it takes a lot of setup, if it's just something you can't expect users to organically adopt, it's not a good candidate to have a free experience. And I think the other is if it's too specific a an audience for your product, like if it's just a highly specific, like one person at a company can use it, it may not be a good PLG model. But like the way that we look at it as VCs is lead gen. What is your source of lead gen? And if you have a pool of like free leads to sell into, we broadly classify that as uh, product-led growth. And within that, there's a spectrum. Like Dropbox and Slack, two companies that uh, Ryan and I used to work for, are like extremely product-led growth. Like on the spectrum of PLG companies, they're like extremely PLG. There are some that are technically PLG, but are lower on the spectrum. So that's kind of how we define it. It's all about the lead, lead gen. Interesting. And when something that you were just talking about in terms of maybe friction um, that potential users will face and, and thinking about how that would differentiate uh, a Dropbox or a Slack that's going to have a ton of organic um, leads to call on versus maybe a company that uh, only has a slice of that. Um, how do you think about that as an investor? Like what, what, what are uh, some of the ways that kind of distinguish a company that is like fully operating in that model versus one that maybe is just like uh, going slightly down the path? Well, I think it's a TAM question. Like I think you you look at it and go, okay, who who is a candidate to use this product? And products where the answer is everyone is very exciting because, oh, you could sell this product to every employee at every company. That's great. The problem is usually products that appeal to everyone, they, they you run the risk of it being like not a super painful problem that you're solving. So it's like, how broad is the user base? And like, how sharp is this pain to a decision maker? And like, when we when we sold at Dropbox, selling cloud storage challenges, like who does that even appeal to? Like what decision maker at a company is like, yeah, I'm gonna buy Dropbox for everyone because that's my job and that's a pain I need to solve. Slack was a little bit easier. Like if, if Microsoft Teams didn't exist, I think Slack would have been easier because company-wide communication and collaboration is something that like people need to solve, whereas cloud storage is a little bit less uh, meaty. And then if you have something like Microsoft, like if something is too horizontal, Microsoft will probably come in and try to build their own version, you know? So true. And it also brings up the 
idea of like which part of the company is actually making those purchasing decisions, right? The difference between the user and the economic buyer. Um, Cause if you're talking about more of like a niche motion and at Dropbox, um, when uh, we were experimenting with verticals, going to be a very different buyer than if you're selling to the entire company. And it's also going to be very different if um, some part of the organization just organically signed up. And I think that probably also plays into um, what we started with this is is the, the difference between uh, potential difference between product led sales and a more traditional motion is thinking about like how you actually approach who you're talking to and who is going to uh, be the one buying the product. Hello, yeah. curious if uh, you, you have some thoughts on that. I, I think the, the call out of, of the, the verticalization experience at, at Dropbox, um, it brings out like an interesting point um, about product-led sales. Um, right? at, at, a, at a traditional top-down company, the, the product team, the marketing team, the leadership team, everybody's focused on building this product that can be taken to market to solve some person's specific problem, right? It could be an HR technology solving the proliferation of accounts or logins or who knows what, right? But everyone's focused on that. At Dropbox, um, we ended up having this product that, that was widely used and we mastered the motion of, hey, IT person, there are 100 users at your company. Let's get you the right security and controls to manage those users. But as we started to kind of try to grow the sales org and sell to, to media personas and construction folks, and solve these verticalized um, problems, we kind of had like the worst of both worlds. We didn't have a product that was building a product for that vertical. We didn't have a lot of marketing support because they were focused mm. on the, the bottoms up uh, adoption that the company was really powered by. Um, and I think uh, I wasn't on one of those teams, the two of you were. I think the role that you guys had was much more challenging um, than it would have been if Dropbox was purely focused on how does collaboration work in media companies and, and what do we build to solve that problem? That really was yeah. you guys. Yeah. I think like if you think about a top down product, I, I think of top down as being pretty specific and built for like one important decision maker who's like solving a deep uh, pain of theirs. And like, like a work you, day, for example. Right. Yeah, ex exactly. Like that is a function specific problem. That's a job to be done. That's essential. And everyone in the, every company in the world has to solve that problem. Everyone was solving it before Workday with clunky on-prem systems. And then like Workday to me is a really cool company to sell for. That's something that we talk about all the time. Like what companies would you want to sell for? It's yep. not bottom up at all, but it's a juicy value prop. And like, you need to buy something like that's a good recipe for a seller. Well, also thinking about a need to have versus a nice to have, right? We, we saw... That issue at Dropbox where you, you just, you really struggle to come up with true ROI uh, when it comes to productivity. And, and, and there are ways that you can show that. But I think um, that often does distinguish uh, PLG versus uh, a more traditional way of sales. Because with Workday, there's no question. You will need an HRIS and an ERP um, that's already baked into the budget. You, you, you need to go through that. Uh, process because you're going to need a partner for that uh, problem regardless um, versus, you know, some of the other products out there within PLG, uh, not always a, a need to have. Exactly. So actually to bring it back to the question, the question is, is bottom-up sales different than normal sales? I think we're kind of teasing it out, but like 
The answer is yes. I, I guess there's a, there's a couple of things. The answer is definitely yes. The two motions are different, at least in my eyes. But you'll become a better bottom-up seller by becoming a good top-down seller. Because I think, I think bottom-up can be a crutch for sales where, oh, someone's using the product already. Great. Like, I have less of a job to, like, illustrate what this product does. But, but I think top-down selling is about teasing out pain. It's basically like doing, like, a Sandler type of call structure where you're really digging for pain, 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 and then uh, putting together a mental value prop of gain, 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 and, like, solving a problem that you tease out. And I think it's easy in bottom-up sales to not have to do that because you're just never forced to. But you'll become a much better bottom-up seller if you know how to do top-down sales, in my view. Yeah, that's interesting. I think uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but like, what's the difference then between being a, a, a bottoms-up seller and being at a, a top-down company that has a lot of inbound? I, I, I think, to me, bottoms-up selling is really selling to one specific type of lead source. Like you mentioned earlier, Mike, that you think like bottom, bottoms up, um, uh, uh, it really is a, a type of lead gen. And yeah. bottoms up leads are probably easier to work and, and figure out, hey, how do I find my way to the right person? Because you kind of have a, a champion organically. Um, but they're probably more difficult than inbound leads. So it, it's more, it's a channel that a savvy rep is going to be able to work well. Um, because they have more data, um, potentially it's easier to, to source information about the company because you have somebody who's already on your team. Yeah. Uh, but but it, it really is just a lead source that a great company is going to learn how to work in the same way they learn how to work an inbound lead, a market-generated lead, a product-generated lead, and then eventually outbound if they really master their craft. Yeah, that, I think it's a – yeah. Go, go ahead, Heller. Sorry to interrupt. No, no. I was just wondering if, if that – if that seems right to, to you two or, uh, or if I'm off in any, anyways. No, it, it does. I really like your call out of like inbound is its own thing. Bottom up companies could have inbound leads just like a top down company could. But like, to me, you're right. Bottom up selling is having a heat map of who's using my products, like some sort of an admin panel or something where you can like basically see where is their existing usage in my territory yep. and figuring out, okay, how do I engage this person who's already using the product? And then how do I turn them into a champion that helps me navigate the org? I feel like that's like the bottom up sales motion. Is yeah. Right? And in essence, you, you have the data and the signal to know who to go after, right? It's almost as if you had your contact list loaded into Salesforce, but uh, knowing already who are probably going to be friendly people to talk to yeah. folks that are going to want to take that meeting. So in terms of like actually getting a conversation started, that's going to be a much more natural path. Not necessarily you're going to have someone who's going to champion an enterprise deal or um, the, the the people that you're going to eventually want to be working with. But I think nonetheless, those are people that you, you know you want to call on to understand, okay, why did you actually sign up in the first place? Um, what kind of value are you getting? Uh, and then you're able to bring that insight back internally, even if it's not going to like help with your specific deal. And that that is kind of the difference probably between uh, a seller doing like a true PLG motion and um, more of a, a tops down seller is, is almost like, what do you do with the information that you're gathering from those conversations? How do you work internally um, and kind of like differentiates the, the profile that you'd be looking for? On those yeah. Games? Go ahead, Heller. 
Oh, you know, I, I was going to echo uh, Ryan. I, I think that that's uh, exactly right. With the, the product-led company, it's going to be much easier for a rep to find someone to have a warm conversation with, right? The challenge, though, is that company is less focused on solving some top-down problem. So navigating from that entry-level conversation to finding some wide enough business problem that somebody in New York has and needs to solve in the next whatever three to six months, I think that's where the, these PLG companies can be really challenging to sell at and, and yeah. still require reps who are sophisticated enough to, to run a, a really strong uh, top-down deal cycle. Yeah, that's that's a tough thing as an investor when you see a very like, oh, this is a very low friction idea, like very low friction PLG applies to a lot of people. But the question is like, what is the top down sale going to be? Because bottom up companies really work when you can pair a top down motion with it. When you have both of those working, it's a beautiful thing. Like we were just talking about Asana before the call. Asana has done that. You know, it's free as a lead source, but I like their org now is like a top down org in that they're trying to identify decision makers and like sell to them. And they're probably just using organic usage as champions to like flesh out the use cases and, and try to take those use cases to the decision maker. So basically you need a, a value prop that will appeal to someone for hundreds of thousands of dollars, I think to be like a truly iconic bottom up company at some point. So I think we all learn the hard way that, that free um, is a, a great way to start the conversation, but it is by no means yeah. uh, the, the be all end all, right? Like at Dropbox, telling a company that you have this amount of data and uh, holding important information hostage is, is usually not yes. the best way you to need, start a sales conversation. Exactly. You need an enterprise value prop. It, it, like the way in is link sharing and, and storage or whatever, but you need to have like a value prop that solves an enterprise problem. So like, I think we, we tried to stumble into like, what if we're like, your new cloud server, like, okay, that's technically an enterprise problem. And then we need to do a much better job of like enterprise features for the buyer. The buyer is IT. So we needed to build much more like IT features for the buyer to be excited to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in this product. We never did that. And thus it was a really hard place to sell. And sorry to the listener for talking about Dropbox so much, but like we all worked at Dropbox and that's kind of the common language that we speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's a, it's a really interesting example where sales was selling the the file server in the clouds, but nobody at Dropbox was building that. Exactly. Uh, I don't think you'd find that mismatch in a multi-hundred person sales org at a top-down company ever, right? A top-down org with a couple hundred sellers is going to have a really refined value prop um, that the sellers are executing against, which brings, brings us to the challenges of, of, of bottoms-up selling. Um, totally. Do, do we have time to, to keep going or do we have a, a hard stop at, at one minute? Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to jump in a minute. Okay. Cool. Let's try to wrap up. As good sellers, we need to have our eye on the clock. Um, <laughs> so I think like the, the question was, how is product-led sales different than non-product-led sales? I feel like the really good sellers we've seen in bottom-up sales orgs are really good at like bucketing these kind of buckets, like you want to do some deals based on inbound, you want to do some deals based on organic usage, and you need to know the motion to engage organic usage properly, which is like, how do you reach out to them? How do you hop on a phone with them? How do you, you know, make it your business to take your best champions to coffee and like try to map out the org and like, you're, it's basically like creating this like web of 
uh, knowledge of how a specific company is using your product already, and then figuring out a way to take those learnings to a decision maker. And you're putting together a presentation at some point that's like, hey, here's what I did talking to like 20 of your users. Here's how they're using their product. We think that everyone in your org is going to face this problem and, and you probably need to standardize on something. And like, let's let's make the case for why it should be us and not our competitors. Yeah, my, my parting thoughts, because I'm going to have to drop in, in a second, is that um, there are certainly commonalities between uh, the, the seller in both of those motions, right? If you think about all the people we've worked with that have been successful, it's typically like the reps that are curious, passionate, determined, they know how to get things done internally. I don't think that changes uh, regardless of the motion. But when you're looking at bottoms up, you probably need to nerd out on the tech a little bit more. It's almost like you're doing user research, right? Like um, you are, are finding those insights to then bring to the rest of the organization. And that's how you would get a deal done. And I think that is uh, is a nuance versus uh, a traditional top-down model. Totally. By the way, Libster, this episode is going to be very casual. So Libster, if you have to hop and we just ship it with me and Heller wrapping it up, I think that's probably fine. But um, whenever you got to jump, thanks for joining. All right. Yep, for sure. I'll see you guys. Right. See you, Ryan. So Heller, doing this wrap-up, uh, yep. any, any kind of like random thoughts or closing thoughts that you have and want to incorporate into the conversation? Yeah, you know, I think the the angle that I come to this with is when I was leaving Dropbox, um, I went to talk to 30 or 40 companies trying to figure out what my next role was. And what I heard from a few um, sales leaders was, hey, you've sold Dropbox, but that's easy. Everyone uses Dropbox. I heard that too. It made me really mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, really annoying to hear. Um, so you're probably not going to make it in this top-down uh, sales org. Uh, I'm sure yeah, you heard the same, Ryan heard the same. Um, and I think there probably are two different types of motions that exist at these product-led companies. There's the days where all you need to do is find the companies that want to consolidate usage. And I think if you were in the first 10 sales reps at Dropbox, it probably was fairly easy, yeah. uh, right, to, to go close some deals and, and find momentum. Um, but once that was gone, the only problem that the company was really well suited to solve was your company has 100 users, like, get it under control. And if I didn't want to solve that, we had to go make something up from scratch. And I'm pretty confident that the work we were doing there was way more challenging than, than nearly any other sellers and other sales orgs were doing. People will feel free to, to, to DM me and challenge me on that if they'd like. <laughs> uh, so, so, so the other side of, of product-led sales are, are companies where, yeah, you're a rep that has a territory and you've got some signal from some accounts. Um, but but it really is just sales um, with yeah. a different entry into some of the accounts that you're trying to sell to. Um, so I, I don't think there's there's a huge difference. Um, I think every org is different to sell in, and, and every product led org kind of will have some similarities. But a great seller is going to work hard, interpret all the signals that they have to figure out where to prioritize their time, and they're going to execute really well. Um, yeah, I, I think it's. It's relatively similar. If founders are listening to this, go go hire the best rep um, for the stage you're at and your deal size. I, I wouldn't overthink um, product-led versus non-product-led. Yeah. Read a bunch of blog posts from uh, uh, whoever trying to build social cloud. Another really misleading question that both of us got in like subsequent interviews is like, what was your average deal size? Like, And it's like, look, Dropbox was a really difficult sale because 
yeah, it's Dropbox. It's an iconic company. But the thing you have to realize about a sales org is it's going to push the growth of the org until selling is difficult, right? Like you're never just going to have boundless inbound leads because if you do, you're going to hire a million people until it gets a little bit challenging because everyone wants to grow as fast as possible. So all of us, equilibrium is, okay, like our territory has been shrunken to like where it's difficult. And the way you win deals is having a killer value prop and really solving enterprise level pain points and being way better than your competitors. You know, like if all those things are true, even if you have a small territory, you can be pretty successful. Um, and Dropbox, to, to, to use that uh, thread and keep pulling on that thread, we didn't have as strong of an enterprise value prop against someone like Box. Box was entirely focused on the enterprise value prop. So if you're a good seller at Dropbox, I mean, I felt like it, it made me really tough because we didn't have the best product for the enterprise use case. You have to figure out really creative ways to like dig in and win and outsell people. And uh, I think selling a sub, like a non-market leading product like that, like we were the market leading product for uh, consumers, but we were not for the enterprise. So anyway, um, you get really good when you have to push yourself in difficult situations. Yeah, you know, and, and I, that's what I think about it might be in terms of product market fit. D Dropbox had end user product market fit. They, they had it like crazy, uh, right? They, they had multi hundreds of millions of signups with relatively little uh, paid acquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, but we really did not have much um, uh, solving business problems. We didn't have much in the enterprise. Um, and an environment like that is hard to sell in, uh, which I, I think is, is why we all, all got good. Hey, on the flip side, though, if you are, um, uh, if you're advising a founder in the craft portfolio who's hiring, who has a product-led company, uh, has whatever, fives or tens of thousands of users signing up each month, and they're looking to hire their, their first sales rep, maybe they don't have the enterprise value prop totally ironed out yet. It, it, how risky is it to hire someone who doesn't have product-led experience? Like, we're talking about it all from our background, which is we, we came to, to the market with this product-led thing. Um, but, but, yeah, would you warn them against hiring um, someone who's been in traditional top-down sales orgs? No, because I think people who have been in top-down sales orgs know how to sell because yep. that's all you've got is your sales skill. You don't really have, like, a, a product that's doing the work for you. So yeah. as an investor, again, we love product-led companies because the product can do the heavy lifting for you while you sleep. But if you're a seller who works in a top-down sales org, especially one where it's like all outbound and it's like just every sale is kind of a grind, you've just become really sharp, you know, like you have to become good to survive. So anyway, you should hire someone who's like entrepreneurial as a seller and smart and thinks from first principles and can like adapt to whatever the situation is versus being too particular about like needs this skill set because you could hire someone who's been at a plg company but just at the wrong time and won't be able to do the job to be done that you need yeah maybe it's it's more about have they been able to put deals together right yeah. you could be a rep at a top-down company who was working inbound during a a great period of time where they were the market leader um or the thing would be true in, in, in for a, a rep who came up in a plg org but yeah. it really is about, yeah, that person's sales skills, uh, which is something you can measure in the interview process. Yeah, I, I love the entrepreneurial, like early, like first sales hire. Like that's such a fun seller to work with. 
Um, it's someone who like, like there's two kind of profiles that come to mind. One is like coin operated, only care about money. You know, tell me, you know, the number I have to hit and I'm super motivated and I'm going to hit it, but you need to give me a playbook, right? Like you need to tell me what to do. And if you do that, I can do it. And then there's like these early stage companies where you really need people who can help figure it out and have like a real like desire and hunger to, to be the person to help figure it out but also likes closing deals. Like you don't want the person who's just excited to put the word strategy on their LinkedIn, but doesn't actually like closing deals over and over and over again. Yeah. Ooh, where do, where do you, where do your portfolio companies at that profile? Um, I'm advising a handful of companies that, that are looking for one. So I'm uh, uh, particularly like self-motivated here, but I'm super curious with what, what background you've seen um, be successful in that, that first sales role. It's so hard. I mean, the reason it's hard is because there's been a proliferation of every company has a sales team. Like there's just so many sales jobs, so many more than when we were starting out. And I felt like uh, when we were starting, there's like only a few employee friendly places that I'd like want to work in their sales org and be proud to work in their sales org. And it it meant uh, less job liquidity. So finding groups of people like that was easier back then in my estimation i i think whatever company you are you have to kind of like find your own secret like here's where we're finding our reps like it could be someone with domain expertise like if you sell you know whatever a, a legal tech product i'm gonna find paralegals who want to what that's a bad example but like something like that but maybe the other i'm asking and then how to sell. It's like a, a long-term strategy most startups won't take, but it's an interesting one, I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think where we've worked, like I remember when, not to use the word Dropbox again, but they hired people who had finance jobs who like just wanted to get into startups, which like was a really smart bet. And yep. if that's still a thing, I think that's a really good, like young, two years of work experience, went to a good college, have some finance or some some interesting background where they're just sick of that path and like okay I want to sell in startups that's usually a good profile yeah or yeah, college athletes profile with like two years of selling for this this first rep profile because with the first rep it's it's a little risky if they don't have sales experience yeah no. you do kind of it, it's too hard to teach someone who's never sold before um, if you don't have like a group of people who can learn from each other yeah the first hire probably has a little bit of that background, but also has sold before. And then they can like use both sides of their brain to put it together. Yeah. Makes sense. So Heller, what's our, what's our like wrap up thesis for bottom up sales versus normal sales. I keep bringing it back to that, but like, I'm assuming we agree that they are different, but you're, you're going to be better at top uh, bottom up sales. If you have top down skills, is that right? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, my my take is uh, product led gives you a, a new motion that's possible, right? You could still outbound sell at one of these product led orgs, yeah. But there there is a, a base of, of folks to reach out to who are kind of like warm ish leads, um, and uh, yeah, and, and a good rep is going to look at those and be able to figure out which ones to work and how to use them. In the same way, a rep is going to figure out who to reach out to um, to sell an outbound deal to based on what's on their LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, so it's a slightly more complex environment um, where the same top-down selling skills are going to lead to good outcomes. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it's, it's, it's that different. I agree. Like, there's so many times in a bottom-up sales org 
that you you're doing some sort of an outbound motion within that sales cycle. Like if you're engaging all these champions, it's actually quite rare that a champion will will tee up an intro to, to the decision maker on a silver platter. Cause like, why would they, you know, they'll tell you who it is. They'll tell you like, here's who is influential maybe, but at a certain point you're putting pen to paper and writing, writing some sort of a compelling outbound email to a decision maker who's never heard of you, maybe has heard of your product, but you, you basically also have to synthesize like, Hey, here's what I've uncovered. Here's why you should engage with me. And like, do you want to set up some time to chat? And then you get to that meeting and it feels like an outbound meeting, you know, cause the person's like, yeah, okay. You were successful at getting time on my calendar now, like, wow me. And like, if you have top down selling skills, you're probably used to that. But if you're just expecting everyone to come in inbound with their own motivation to buy, that type of meeting can feel really scary. A hundred percent. And there, in a way, these um, users or influencers in your deal, they're almost less likely to be inclined to make that upward intro in a product-led company yeah. uh, because their problem is already solved. They're already using the thing for free or, or 10 bucks a month. Um, so there actually isn't as much, there's often not as much reward in it for them yep. uh, to help you navigate their org as there would be in a bottom, a top down company, uh, where they're not going to use your really interesting tech to solve their really big problem uh, unless the decision maker signs off on it. Um, I think that's it. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is <laughs> selling skills, um, are the most important thing when hiring people in sales roles, yep. uh, which is kind of a funny conclusion to come to, but yeah. I, I I think that's that's kind of what this all boils down to. Do you think? Yep, definitely. And I think like let's get really prescriptive for a second. I think like imagine you are a bottom-up sales org. You have like a database full of organic usage. Like, what do you do? I think what you have to do is start one enriching that data. We both worked at Clearbit, so like we're kind of aligned on that. Like, part of this is knowing who the best candidates for sales outreach are within your universe of customers. Like that's really important infrastructure to get right. Yeah. And then like, there's a bunch of companies like census is doing this. Pocus is doing this. Endgame is doing this. Um, but like infrastructure companies for PLG is important because you have to efficiently get these like uh, usage and buying signals to your sellers efficiently. And you need to create these loops where, the product is spitting out alerts and like signal for you to take action on and engage people at the right time. And then it's kind of on you as the seller, like the, the signal is just like getting your foot in the door. Then you have to know like how to orchestrate like this ingestion of how the product is being used, plus a conversation with a decision maker, plus a presentation for the decision maker to draw attention to the pain and then draw attention to the ROI of solving that pain. And then you have to like hold them accountable to a buying timeline. And like, that is a very intricate dance. And that's why selling is very hard. Like I'm describing a lot of things. Yeah. And what you kind of talked through was there, there's this like data infrastructure piece at the beginning where you need to, if you have the user base, you got to enrich them with third party data. Who are the decision makers? You got to enrich them with first party data. Who are the people that are most active or sharing links or sharing folders or whatever it might be. But then afterwards, you got to reach out and navigate and figure out who the problem, who has the problem and who else needs to be involved. Those are all just selling. Um, so I, I think you're yeah. totally right. It's th there is some work that has to be done um, on the off side of these companies um, earlier than would be the case at a top down company. 
Um, but but once those pieces are in place, there's just a lot of high quality selling that has to happen. Um, in the early days, in the middle days, and in the late days at uh, at these bottoms up businesses. For sure. And I think like this is one of the reasons that bottom up sales orgs tend to devolve into a massive mess is everything's changing so quickly. It's really hard to like outline fair territories. It's really hard to outline new territories for new reps that are coming in. And what kind of tends to happen is like the early people to the org kind of like they have the, the prehistoric heat map of where interesting stuff is happening. They grab those accounts, they develop those relationships, they sit on those relationships. And then, you know, like PLG, it's, it's, it's hard to a lot of times move out of selling to tech companies. Like usually tech companies will be your most enthusiastic buyers and like selling to the middle of the country, not to use too broad of an example, but like I spent a lot of time selling in states like, like Arizona and Utah were my territory, which are like fine states. Uh, you know, there, it, but like you get into this world of like the more tech companies you have per capita, the better your reps will be. Not to hate on those states. My parents live on in Arizona. Um, I'm from Ohio. Like if you don't have a lot of tech companies, it's hard to sell PLG uh, or really any tech products, quite quite honestly. That's been my experience at the very least. Yeah. And I don't even think it's just geography. I think it's also functions. Uh, yeah. There aren't that many companies that have seen success selling like sales tech and martech with a bottoms up motion. I think Scratchpad, uh, Craft Company, and, and Dooley are, are, are doing some interesting things. But outside of that, I can't really think of any. Um, you see a lot of really high quality PLG companies selling to, uh, to engineers, to product managers, um, to designers, to folks who are a little bit more excited to uh, play around with, uh, with new tech, um, which, which, yeah, I, I think intuitively makes sense. Um, but it's a reason why a lot of companies that have starting PLG, um, they end up hiring a couple of reps and if they get it right, they, they find that, Hey, the sales thing is really working and it starts to decouple from the product, yeah. um, where now you've got decision makers reaching out, interested. The reps are finding success outbound because yeah. if there is a real product market fit. The problem, the product is solving a problem, and all yeah. of a sudden, PLG becomes deprioritized. Um, so yeah, it, I, I think PLG sometimes is just how a company starts. Other times, yeah. it's part of the long term go to market, but um, not always the case. Here's my final piece of tactical advice. I'm going to wrap this up, but like I often find PLG companies the the product managers who are like rock stars are the ones who are designing like the consumer free experience. Like to me, there's no reason not to have equal, if not greater emphasis on the the PMs and whoever's building the enterprise functionality. Like that is the company selling big deals and building features that your decision makers want. That's really your company. Free is a lead source. You know, the paid is your company. So, you know, we've seen that a bunch, but like, I feel like that can be backwards and like, you you got to build for the people who are buying. You got to build so that your sellers are going into battle with something really compelling. And like, that's, that's a missed ingredient, I think, in a lot of PLG. Yeah, that, that could be a really interesting future topic, actually, for us to cover. Um, I know there are these companies that I don't want to mention them by name that build an amazing PLG motion. They've got millions of users sometimes, but there's no next thing to make those users sticky and get yeah. Fun. Um, but at the same time, a lot of these PLG companies are successful because they have this audience that they can then market their product to. And they even figure out what to build because of the million users, 20,000 of them are way more engaged. And those yeah. are all 
product designers doing X and Y with the free version. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's complicated. Where do you invest all the effort? But I think the one thing that I've seen is the companies that, that do well at this are really thoughtful. It's hey, yeah. now we're focusing on the bottoms up thing and the free product because of X and Y. And once we get to this certain uh, metric, then it flips, right? And yeah. then, yeah. Uh, whereas when you don't have that, I think it's really tricky. And then you've got you've got a VC, you've got Mike Mard coming and telling you, <laughs> hey, where, where's the money? And you don't know. You focus on that. You stick to what your plan was. You got to have a plan. Yeah, you got to be thinking about the deals. Like you, you cannot kick the deal can down the road. It's really important to be buy, to be building with a buyer in mind. Do um, you think that's a good place to wrap, Heller? I feel like we could talk about this for hours. It's tough for me to stop, but maybe we should, given it's our first episode, just earmark this and, and start again next week. Yeah, I think uh, this is this is good. Uh, I think I give us a, a, a I don't know. A C minus. <laughs> We're finding it. We're, We're still finding it. And that's okay. Like, I mean, by the way, if I started a new, let's say I started a sales job tomorrow, I feel like I know a lot about sales. And, but like that first discovery call would be really tough. You know, like yeah. there's an element of, I got to, you got to fall on your face a bunch to like know where the pitfalls are, know what the natural structure is. Anyway, that applies to podcasting too. We're discovering. Yeah, no, I, I think. <laughs> Sales is the perfect analogy, though. I think before I, I joined uh, a sales role, it kind of seemed pretty straightforward. Good at talking to people, <laughs> giving them to do things, but there really is an art to it uh, that we had to learn over time from people who knew what they were doing. I think this is going to be the same. Uh, hopefully, we're going to have really interesting insights, regardless of whether the conversation is structured in an amazing way. Um, but I think we're going to get better at uh, at 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 the latter. Um, Love so. it. Yeah. Cool. Well, audience, forgive us for our C minus performance. We're taking it as a win that we just got something down uh, at all. And uh, we'll see you hopefully next week. Hopefully we could do this a weekly or biweekly or who knows what cadence will do. But there's been a lot of fun, Heller. And uh, let's keep this rolling. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Um, and, uh, and Ryan, who's gone. Uh, same time again next week. Maybe. Thanks, everyone. See ya.